This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. It's your beer, liquor, and other beverage news the week of October 16th, 2021. New Israeli winery is the hottest spot 1,500 years ago. We might be drinking Norwegian wine in just a few years. California gives you burnt grapes. Make vodka aid. And this Halloween, dress up in a sexy Franzia costume. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where we cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker, and let's get right into the news. Yeah, uh, we've got a 1,500-year-old uh, uh, complex that once produced 2 billion liters of wine per year in Israel, recently dug up. Well... Archaeologically recently. <laughs> in context. By the time we, an archaeology story hits us, it's probably been dug up. You, like, you, know. you have no idea. <laughs> That's I, I, When I learned, th- so when something hits the mainstream here, and at, my professor at the time when I was in college was like, oh yeah, when that actually happened, she's like, I was in graduate school. She's like, that was in the 70s is when this discovery was made. It's only just now confirmed, like, 1,000% confirmed no one can deny it anymore and hitting yeah. mainstream headlines. It's like, oh, so just like 40 years later, got it. Well, archaeologists uncovered an old winery in Israel dating back 1,500 years, and once again, we're reminded that past civilizations enjoyed drinking just as much as we do. Uh, it was safer than the water. Uh, <laughs> Ask anyone in a cholera outbreak. Evidence was discovered uh, in the city of Yavin, uh, just south of Tel Aviv, and the facility is believed to have been used during the 4th and 5th century. Uh, The Times of Israel reports when in use, uh, the Byzantine-era winery would have supplied nearby areas with uh, 2 to 3 million liters of wine each year. Also, real quick, the Byzantine era just makes me go, that, no, that's Byzantine era. Yep. Man, time really flies. It didn't feel like that was 1,500 years ago. (laughs) You remember Uh, it like it was yesterday. (laughs) Back when I was just Tinian the first. Um, (laughs) Just, I've been waiting for a Byzantine joke for that for years. Um, Researchers have found uh, five large wine presses within uh, within the ruins, each one covering nearly 2,400 square feet. Grapes would be crushed by foot and fermented in large vats. No word if Lucille Ball was also there. Uh, <laughs> then aged in one of the uh, one of the complexes complexes four warehouses. They have like some some you know pictures of this, and they're like, oh, complex big, yeah yeah yeah. It's not small. Uh, no no no. I mean, it looks a little cramped in some of those some of those rooms, but at the same time, like, it's it's a hefty amount of area, especially when you think there's probably more to this place than than what we're seeing. 
Well, at the same time, it's not like Osho was swinging by. Uh, true. Uh, we were surprised to discover a sophisticated factory here. Uh, it's a quote from Dr. Uh, I guess Eli Haddad, uh, which, uh, which was used to produce wine in commercial quantities. Uh, furthermore, the decorative niches in the shape of a conch which adorned the wine press indicated great wealth of the f- for the factories here. So they had time to, you know, <laughs> just picture like, yeah, call this one the conch. See, I thought it was a decorative uh, piece. I was waiting for it to be a phallus. Given the time period <laughs> and everything, I was like, it had to be a dick. Come on. It's in it's in is it's in Israel. They didn't have uh, the same. Uh, Don't you lie Bacchanal. to me. They didn't have the same Bacchanal uh, uh, thing in their their religious imagery. Is what I mean. Oh, okay. Mm. Uh, kilns used to make uh, clay jugs remained somewhat intact, uh, although uh, though tens of thousands of broken jugs were also discovered. Yeah, I I get that. Because Thor made <laughs> Just, it in there. Sweet. Another. <laughs> Just, just sweep that under the press. Uh, these amphorae were known as Gaza jars at the time and came to signify a brand of uh, wines exported to the ports of Ashkelon and Gaza to the rest of the Mediterranean basin. Drinkers from Egypt, Turkey, Greece, and beyond would enjoy the the whites of the region, the light whites of the region. Uh, the additional wine presses dating back to the Persian era, nearly 2,300 years ago, were also uncovered in the area. Further research we conducted on the site, but the archaeologists will soon have uh, uh, have to cover it up for winter. Hmm. So yeah, that's uh. I feel like we have more and more historical cool. stories like that lately. Like, oh, this was randomly uncovered. <laughs> well, so given that area, to... you're gonna get more funding to these kind of areas like Israel. Hmm. So much fun, like private funding, and you have institutional funding going to the work being done there. So, because you have like, I, I hate to admit it, but it's like mass churches and religious schools and universities who are funding private digs. Mm. Yeah. And they're wanting anything that, that can get them. Yeah. Anyone uh, wants any kind of religious relic. Like these schools uh, would literally kill for it. There's also, uh, also the thing of, it's an old part of the world. They've been building, yeah. building there for, for millennia. A lot of history, history comes from. You can't, 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 uh, can't start expanding out the basement without running into an archaeological ruin. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, let's just knock out this wall here, and we'll, move, you know, get a new bit of foundation over. Oh, ah, oh, crap! Not again. That's what I found. Some broken jars. Oh, we've got to move again. <laughs> That's exactly, um, what was it? I think it's like St. Petersburg. It's St. Petersburg or Moscow when they started expanding uh, a bunch of basements for new structures and they stumbled across like a massive subterranean system below, like a subterranean <laughs> city that no one ever knew existed. And then they found out, oh yeah, basically uh, back in the 1700s, they made it a lime quarry. Oh, and then yeah. built the city on top of it, and everyone forgot about it and like paved over it. And then when people started building basements, they hit it, and everyone was like, "Oh!" I'm just thinking now of the. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was expecting when you said it was in Moscow. I was like, "We built up the city that sunk into the mud. We built another city <laughs> that one caught fire, then sunk into the mud. We built a third. The third city stood. Uh, you know what might not stand though? 
wine regions, at least current ones. I was going to say the Poles, but... Uh, Also those. (laughs) All right, so, uh, yeah, climate change, it's happening. (laughs) Climate change brings many terrible effects, but its silver lining is the emergence of new wine-growing regions that also is bringing an end to... uh, To old wine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because... California and France and Italy may all soon, like within our lifetimes, be unsuitable for grapes. Mm -hmm. If you look at a map of the classic wine regions of the world, you'll notice they all have something in common, latitude. In each hemisphere, the vast majority of quality of wines are produced between the 30 and 50 degree parallels. This isn't a coincidence. Uh, Vitus finera vines, uh, the species responsible for most of the world's popular grape varieties, need very specific growing conditions in order to thrive, including a lack of extreme climate conditions. If exposed to too much heat or cold, the vines will shut down and stop producing fruit. I'm kind of that way. (laughs) Yeah. The effects of climate change, however, are causing these regions to shift away from the equator. They're moving further north into the northern hemisphere and further south into southern hemisphere, where climates were previously too cold to grow wine grapes are becoming better suited for viticulture. This doesn't mean your favorite wine regions will be disappearing, but it does mean that winemakers in those areas will need to consider making some changes in order to adapt to the rising global temperatures and other effects of climate change, probably switch uh, varietals. The result, yeah. uh, the result, while of course disastrous in general, does have a silver lining. New opportunities for winemaking have begun to arise in northern and eastern Europe, as well in port, as well as in parts of North America and Asia, and also in previously unsuitable regions of established wine-producing countries. They have a picture like a map of the world on this one they show like the region kind of going yeah. up and all i'm looking at that though is going like when i heard 30th parallel and i'm like huh i guess korea could technically grow some wine i'm down <laughs> it's important to note that the climate change does not automatically translate to smooth sailing in these uh marginal regions winemaking br- winemaker brad greatrix i don't know of nietzschember I, I don't i exactly what it is i'm sure i'm screwing this all up there's a myth that everywhere is getting hotter and we're laughing over here in england because it's getting warmer when in fact the challenge uh, and truth is that temperatures are varying everywhere meanwhile in traditional wine growing regions there are many potential adaptations that allow producers to continue making the classic wines of the world as temperatures rise high altitude plantings give vines respite from the hotter conditions down at sea level. At greater elevation, grapes benefit from intense sunlight that encourage ripeness and concentration, while chilly nighttime temperatures preserve the acidity so the wines taste fresh and balanced and their alcohol levels are kept in check. Growers in warmer areas can also pick their fruit earlier before sugar levels rise and acidity drops to an undesirable degree. To achieve a comparable effect. So, hmm. reading between the lines here, it just seems like, yeah, the, in our current areas, it's not going to be like I was saying before. Like, oh, guess what? California, France, Italy, they're screwed. It's going to be like, no, they're just going to have to, like, 
they have their they have their systems down to such a degree to where they're like, yeah, we're just going to be like every year moving harvest up or back, more than likely up, like a few weeks or a week. Well, it uh, it does also mean that they're going to have to. They may have to change some things, like they, especially if the weather, if the if the the climate gets more extreme in certain areas, they may they there might be some that are going to have to just shut down entirely or change entirely what they're growing. Yes, to some extent, uh, a more ambitious approach to the embrace and adapt to the changing conditions and work with them rather than against them. Bordeaux, one of the world's most famous traditional wine regions approved six new heat-loving grape varieties in early 2021. Here we go. They're on top of it, including Not Gonna Try, one of of Portugal's most prestigious grapes. That's a tongue twister. (laughs) One of Portugal's Portugal's prestigious grapes. Portugal's most prestigious, if you need to warm up. (laughs) Annunciation. (laughs) In Napa Valley, winemakers are less bound by tradition and are free to experiment as they wish, although consumer expectations are still an important concern, as many who purchase Napa wine are expecting Cabernet Sauvignon. We have a whole episode about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, th- this article goes on and on. They start to break it down. We're, we're just going to list these new regions. Like, you, you get what it's about. So, Belgium, going to move on from just being a beer, beer country, going to move into wine. You have China. Is it Belgium looking at France going, we have the wine now. <laughs> Who's fancy now? <laughs> uh, England. Belgium, the Zoidberg of French-speaking lands. Um, <laughs> Definitely sorry. they are. I mean, uh, Ireland, you down for some Irish wine? <laughs> I mean, yes, but also no, because I don't like wine. I mean, we found a, we found a couple. Uh, Japan, I am... I would yeah, be down no, for I'm some okay Japanese. Yeah. I'm immediately down for some Japanese wine labels. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Uh, Netherlands? Not down for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Poland? Eh. If we could find Poland, who knows? <laughs> uh, you know, who knows where they'll move to next? <laughs> oh, and Scandinavia? I mean, I'm always Finland. okay with that. Scandinavia. Oh, some fine Finnish wines. Yeah, yeah. I, the the title the 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 intro read was almost going to be a Finnish wine, but I was like, no, Norwegian's a funnier word. It is. Uh, yeah, I mean, just think, all the Vikings had to do was wait a while, and the wine would come to them. <laughs> but they couldn't wait. They're impatient. They are. They had to destroy <laughs> they made half boats that could drive. Notorious for that. They made. They had they had to make boats that could go over rivers and oceans, and ruin everyone's day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, uh, so uh, I guess of uh, speaking of, I don't I don't know nothing. Got nothing. Next up, next story. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, this is I already lost. So this is a thrillist article. This is a source that I've been kind of grabbing more things from recently uh because as we know uh, what was the <laughs> i already forgot the name yeah. brewbound is the one who paywalled like, screwed us up uh, ain't nobody gonna pay you that much <laughs> brewbound mm-hmm. we just troll your website and then go uh look <laughs> the story must be somewhere else <laughs> yeah we just take the headline and google search yeah. news and then hey someone else has a story but yeah so uh this is um 
a awesome story, a little bit, a little bit long. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I do recommend it. Um, I'll try to provide that. But this is about how Native American breweries are reclaiming their identities through beer, which I think is awesome. And there's also a really awesome picture for it. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the trajectory, tra- oh, that word, the tra- trajectory of contemporary craft beers boom in the U.S. has painted the picture that beer is the domain of white men as most of the that picture has been painted a lot it's really old now uh which we know from history is certainly not the case so over the past 18 months or so as the craft beer industry experiences reckonings with its racism and sexism yep uh we've seen stereotypes give way to real growing diversity equity inclusion and representation the progress is slow, but craft beer has an advantage. It's a powerful tool for education and sharing identity, an approachable way to bring people together, and the tap rooms act as community hubs that come with art and iconography to tell a story. We're seeing this in the hands of Native American-owned breweries like Bow and Arrow Brewing in Albuquerque, Sky Dance Brewing in Oklahoma City, Seven Clans Brewing in Cherokee, North Carolina, and... Ooh. Rincon Reservation Road Brewing in in yeah these Valley Center Beach or Valley Center yeah Ocean I Beach. don't understand how that's written there but uh also uh Skydance Brewing is a right? really yeah. good name yeah. for a brewery so we got to make it to the one in Cherokee also Seven Clans that's also a really cool like mm-hmm. okay uh these breweries are building <laughs> sorry <laughs> I. I get nervous. You got to make sure you pronounce that clan with a C or, or I get, I start wondering. Uh, these breweries are building a strong narrative for indigenous people, all while reclaiming their own identities in the community. Uh, it says the journey to get here has been arduous. Native American owned breweries are finally starting to grow after facing countless obstacles, often not welcomed to enjoy craft beer in the same way as white men, uh, let alone provided access to career opportunities. Additionally, in some cases, there has been opposition to breweries establishing Native American communities, especially on reservations, because of a stereotype founded solely on racism that fostered a difficult relationship between indigenous people and alcohol. The U.S. government fabricated a collective (laughs) drinking problem for Native Americans used to inform policies and legislation like penalties for selling intoxicating spirits on Native land and for Native Americans consuming alcohol anywhere in 1832. It's a discriminatory myth. I mean, Sorry. This, I was going to say, it's partially the... Uh, 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 his, it's it's a lot like England mm, and yeah. opium. Yeah. God, yeah. white people, right? Okay. Because... <laughs> just... Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a discriminatory myth, but it still caused tension around alcohol within some Native American communities. After the government lifted bans in 1953, it took that long. 19? 19- yeah. Oh my uh, god. Yeah, some tribal nations have decided to remain dry because of this. Um, then uh, Morgan Crisp, also a great name, who is a Cherokee, faced resistance when founding Seven Clans. Uh, In addition to some members of her community citing the complicated history with alcohol as a reason to petition for seven clans to change its name, Crisp says she also met with a reluctance for her tribe's culture to be shared so openly in a form as novel as craft beer. The ability to tell stories has propelled the founders of these breweries forward, whether there was any initial hesitancy from their communities in the beginning or not. What they've created, from their spaces to their product 
has assured skeptics that Native American culture is being celebrated and shared in a safe, positive way. It's also been important to help reframe generational stigmas. Um, yeah, there's mm-hmm. definitely way more to the article, um, and I'm definitely going to make sure to get this in the show notes, but I think this is awesome. And I'm going to look up seven clans because I need to see what this logo is. <laughs> Which one's in yeah. Cherokee? Uh, seven clans. Seven clans? Yeah. That's where we need to go. Seven clans. Definitely. Cause that's, oh, that's a <clears throat> sick logo. What is <laughs> okay. it? Okay, no, yeah, that's... that's. Uh, can I... That's a great one. Show this. I'm going to show this somehow. <laughs> I'm going to show this somehow. <laughs> I'm going to sh- you going to see. Even you, audio listener. You'll see. They'll all see. There Open up your third uh, eye. Oh, yeah, there you go. Well, you know. Uh, Logo's <laughs> great. Logo. Sight's um, a little, like, janky and, like, old school. Eh. Uh, not. I mean, anybody could have either mm-hmm. a good or garbage website like that's you know neither here nor there it's true you know uh you know what you you know you can do with garbage oh make vodka probably (laughs) especially if uh if your garbage is a wildfire damaged grapes because that's what some uh people in california have gone uh about a year ago uh this is a thing from bon appetit and there's a first-person section here. Uh, a year ago, the author's uh, mom texted him a photo that looked like the end of the world. It was taken from her living room in San Francisco, and the morning sunlight should have been streaming through the east-facing window. Instead, the room was suffused with a reddish glow, so dim they could barely make out her sofa and coffee table. Fires were raging throughout Santa Cruz uh, to, no- uh, to the north in wine country. Smoke blanketing uh, San Francisco was a was a horrifying indication of the destruction just miles away. Uh 2020, four mil- over 4 million acres were claimed uh, by fire in California. The largest incidence was the Glass Fire, which spread through the Napa and Sonoma in late September and October. Weeks before the fire was contained, the winemakers were already sounding the death knell uh, for the season's crops. Grapes had uh, become more susceptible to smoke taint the closer they are they get to harvest. And the Glass Fire hit right as the Napa growers were bringing in their haul, which I think we talked about this when it was happening, that we went, yeah. oh, they're, yeah, they're boned. Yeah, uh, those Brace yourselves for the shortage. Mm-hmm. Well, wine made with grapes that have been blanketed by smoke tastes, you guessed it, smoky. Hints of ashtray is not a descriptor anyone wants applied to their oh. Chardonnay. Uh, I don't know. I bet you there's some, there's like some, some thin 60-year-old grandmothers that are... Uh, Couldn't tell the difference. Know, taking da- yeah, taking down like nine packs a day. Like, I don't know. I think it's fine. You know, Selma and uh, uh, I forget the other Simpson sister. Okay, I, I don't remember. Marge's yeah. sisters. Oh God, I, don't, I never remember their names. I want to say Louise. <laughs> like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> uh, but as a, uh, this is not my my writing. As Diddy fans know, there's more more that can be done with grapes than make wine. Mm. Uh. Unlike tequila or scotch, vodka can be distilled from anything and has a high has a high sugar content, including wheat, potatoes, and whey. Because vodka is highly refined spirit, you likely can't taste the difference between one made from corn and one made from beets, or even one made from smoke tinged grapes. Uh, hanger 
Eyes? Hanger one? I'm not sure. Smoke point? Uh, Lisa and Maggie? No, those are the daughters of uh, uh, and the Simpson family. I was thinking of Marge's sister. Sorry, oh, someone yeah. in the chat was giving a suggestion. Uh, uh, anyway, it's made from uh, just from that. Located in Almedia, uh, Almedia uh, about 10 miles to the east of uh, where the opening description was talking about. Uh, the hangar... Uh, I guess it's Hangar 1, we'll say. There's oh. a little maneuver, I don't know. Has a deep connection... Oh, no, I just huh? said, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Has a deep connection to California grape growers. Its signature vodka is distilled from both grapes and grain. Uh, with the vineyards hurting, they wanted to make sure that Napa's uh, adulterated crop... Uh, there's a find a use for Napa's adulterated crop. The resulting vodka, made from Merlot and Malbec grapes, mm. has uh, not a trace of smoke, which is to say it's... Yeah, which is to say, it's uh, la- isn't lacking. Uh, it's lacking uh, in character, unlike most mass-produced vodkas, uh, which are made from neutral grain spirits. Smoke tastes like something. Uh, to the author, it's reminiscent of uh, Claire Shafit's honey vanilla uh, sable cookies, uh, ideal for martinis or even uh, oh. sipping straight. Yeah, it's your it's your lagavulin <laughs> of of uh. It's your. It might be a vodka, vodka I actually want to drink. Peated hmm. vodka. <clears throat> There was a real quick side thing here. Uh, this week I was hearing some like radio contest question and they were like, like these things, like name one of these things you can make vodka from potatoes, rye, or uh, pineapples. And I went, yes, <laughs> like, you can make yeah. one of the all answers of should have been like all of anything. Those, <laughs> all those are fermentable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the correct answer is yes, and they in fact do make it from every one of them. They said the correct answer is rye. While that is accurate, the correct answer is also potatoes. The correct answer is also <laughs> <Say ask> Russia. <laughs> uh, the smoke point, as it's called, is a, a limited release with only forty-eight hundred bottles in existence. Uh, this is the first, and la- they hope it's the first and last year that Hangar One has to do this, in order to uh, step in and create the demand uh, uh, for smoke-tainted grapes. That seems unlikely. The climate changing, uh, creating ever more devastating fire seasons. There is a reason to add a smoke, a bottle of Smoke Point to your bar cart. Uh, all proceeds go to the California Fire Foundation. So, nice, nice bit of uh, of recycling. That's, I think it's a nice. Nice thing to do with wine. Hmm. Unlike <laughs> our next story. I guess it depends on how drunk you I are. I think it's a nice um, <laughs> a nice thing you could do with wine. It just brings questions for slapping the bag. Uh. Oh. Well, Ow. to clue you in on what we're talking about here. Uh, Franzia, probably not the right way to say that, is selling boxed wine, uh, selling a boxed wine costume that actually dispenses wine. Happy Halloween, folks. So, uh, the picture is also just like, really? This is, okay. Um, depending on the wine, the boozy grape-based alcoholic beverage can seem like a, a little fancy and complicated for many drinkers. There are too many styles with hard-to-pronounce names for some drinkers to wrap their heads around. This certainly isn't the case with Franzia. You absolutely know what you're getting. You're going to, bleh, you absolutely know what you're going to get when you open a box of this classic boxed wine. The packaging alone should key you into what you're in for. It's wine, and it comes in a box. And <laughs> Look, no, we're going to have a whole episode before the end of the year on boxed wine. Yeah. so that's, that's It's going to be fun, guys. Yeah. 
I'm a little <laughs> one box short and stuff. Look, wait, wait. When was it we talked about this? Was it like the that was it first or second Halloween episode? Second Halloween episode. It was horror stories. That one we talked about slapping the bag and May- oh yeah, we've definitely we've mentioned, mentioned it a how a box of wine yeah. is the best thing when you're going camping or wherever you are party because <laughs> when you drain it, then you just blow because it's the bag. You just get the bag out and you blow it up and you have your pillow. It's like, come on, <laughs> it's self serve. Like it's the best thing ever. It's like oh, you're so drunk and then you're like, here's my pillow. I'm done. Well, apparently uh, <laughs> this brand last fall, which I only vaguely remember now that I'm seeing this, uh, they had launched a wine dispensing backpack. Well, later, later they did uh, a summer clothing line for anyone who wanted to represent the brand, um, you know, just because. And now the newest drop for Halloween 2021, Franzia has dropped this costume. It's a literally like the guy's wearing a box of wine. <laughs> um, and so, yes, they're saying, like, oh, there's homemade versions, blah, 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 but now here's the actual thing. But here's the thing, though. It dispenses wine somehow, um, which they don't... There's a box, there's a there's a bag of Franzia somewhere inside <laughs> that, in that thing, and you just turn the, you know, hit the button or do whatever you need to do and get yourself yeah, some wine. I'm, but, like, nowhere does it really go into how that's a thing. I like, mean, it I, be I need hard. to know the... <laughs> The, the specs on this it wouldn't be hard you need I no you need a logist you want to you want to know where the spout is it's which is also not pictured let me just it's say. on it's on the penis it has it's to gotta, be right we we all know <laughs> no it's got to be on the sides because because from the look of the picture here the box is horizontal and in the box wine they're always you know on the side of it not... so i will say though it says <laughs> and you can be the literal life of the party for the low price of forty dollars, that's bad. actually not bad for a costume in reality. Because like some costumes are just like what? So and especially a costume that also you know doubles as your your you know BYOD for the night. <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know how well a uh, uh, I don't know how well a uh, cardboard box breeze for a Halloween costume. Better than some other things I mean. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, just imagine like you fart near that bag and you're just hot boxing in there and you're just heating say, up the we wine. Went, we went to oh, uh, Margot and and oh, that was awful. Todd for Margo Halloween and Todd, that year, and we that, were in the like in the the sauna suits. My God! Oh, that was a <laughs> it was it was a cold year, and we were still just dying. We were sweating <laughs> to death. Like, it was a poor choice. <laughs> Funny costume, <laughs> poor choice. Uh, well. You know what else is some uh, uh, poor choices? Pictures of them. Some of these, uh, some of these <sighs> pints in these pictures. Need everyone to brace. <laughs> and you're you're all so uh, on Instagram. Everyone's just gonna have to go look it up. Upsetting pints. I need the, to go follow this. Like this is. It's just an Instagram account Ooh. of all the worst pours you've ever seen in your life. Instagram account titled Upsetting Pints is leaving social media users in disbelief over how pouring beer into a glass can go so terribly wrong. I'm not much of a beer, according oh, to the God. author, I'm not not much of a beer drinker myself. Even I know a bad pint when I see one, mostly thanks to the exclamations of what is that 
and are you joking? I've heard from <laughs> disappointed customers met with a drink that is 50% froth. Also, I have to <sighs> note, the I just found the account on Instagram. 96,000 followers. Just putting that out there. Though my experience is relatively limited, I never thought a beer could look quite as tragic as some of those that have appeared on the drink-filled Instagram page where bad pours are taken to a new extreme. That is, oh my God. Although that one, is that a home bar? I hope that's a home bar. I don't think it's a home bar. It has to, no. No, no, it's not. It's a, yeah, that's a real (laughs) bad bar. Uh, I, think it goes, nice. I think it goes without saying uh, that when ordering a pint, you expect the vast majority of the glass full of golden brown colored liquid. Apparently, not all bartenders agree, though, as numerous images show glasses that could easily be filled with milk upon closer inspection are actually just packed with froth. Why? Oh. I mean, that's that's so like... Demand your money back. Situation. Other images show ice taking over the show. Yeah, what? that's that's horrendous. With that... beers either having frozen after attempts to get that cool, crisp taste or severely diluted with a wholly unnecessary amount of cubes. If you put... I mean, at that point, at that point though, like if it is freezing like the thing, like you got an ice box down there at least <laughs> yeah. in the bottom of the glass. <laughs> Pretty, it's pretty great then. Uh, the images have left Instagram users in dismay with one person responding to a largely frothy beverage to say a toddler could pour a better pint in his sleep. <laughs> Another commenter had more extreme reaction to the disturbing drinks, writing, thanks, upsetting pints. I've entered a state of animal panic in my uni room, and I'm hurling myself at the furniture and so on. Oh God! Bugs oh. in the in the head in one of these pictures. Oh. Other I mean, images showing glasses packed with chips and decorated with pork pies. It seems there's lots of ways pints can be upsetting. So yeah. while there are already a wealth of horrific images out there, I've no doubt there'll be more to come. Oh yeah, everyone, we've all got to follow this. This is just going to be a tragedy. This is like this is our Halloween horrifying story. Yeah. For the, for the... This. Like, let's gather around, and children, and we tell you the horrifying tale of this beer pour. Ah! <laughs> of this Guinness that was poured uh, gently. <laughs> That's really, how, did, how else do you screw up a Guinness? They, I'm just did, like, how? They did, like, you can't, they, oh. They didn't wait. They didn't wait for it to settle. <laughs> Uh, well, on that, uh, you know, prepping you for Halloween story, we'd like to remind everyone that this is our news-only show, but we also do a weekly long-form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, please go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. And we will see you again in another couple of weeks for the next live episode. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. Justin Frazier. And I'm Christopher Walker, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. (laughs) 